And, uh, but it is good to see all of you today. I want us just to dive right into the word for a little while this morning. I believe God got, God has something that he wants to speak to Paul, a simple message, uh, that many of you have probably heard before the apostle Paul in his writing to the church at Philippi, he gave some of the most sound teaching for the believer. How many of you know that sometimes we just need to get back to some of the simplest things, some of the basic things? I, I love to study uh, the deeper things of theology. I love to, to look at certain things and explore certain things. But I, what I have found is, is that sometimes the most important thing is just to get back to the main thing and get back to what really matters the most. And those are the simplest things, because guess what? The gospel is simple. <laughs> there is nothing complicated about the gospel, nor the way that God intends for us to live our lives out. It's very simple, and his, and his word points it out to us. We find in chapter 4 of Philippians, and I'm sure if you spent any time at all in church throughout your life, you'd be able to probably quote the biggest portion of this, of this chapter or this, this uh, group of verses. In verse 4, he begins by saying this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, and again I say, rejoice. I, I love all of the absolutes that we hear throughout, throughout this text. We'll, we'll see it throughout the next few verses, these, these nothing, absolute words. He'll use words like always and he'll use words like nothing and everything and whatever and all it's these it's these all-inclusive uh eliminating everything or eliminating nothing it's these absolutes it's these extreme words that he uses always nothing everything whatever all paul admonishes the believer to rejoice always to always rejoice in a world, in a world that is so full of negativity. I mean, are you experiencing and seeing and hearing all of the negativity that I'm seeing and hearing? Anybody here in this room on social media, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have succumbed to the world of social media. Then if you have spent any time at all in the last six days on social media, you have experienced the negativity of this world. Negative in a society that is so full of division, separation and hatred and anger. It is high time. I'm making a declaration right now. It is high time that the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ, that we rise above the rhetoric. It's time. It's time. We are in this world to our. We are not of. This world, we I, I give great allegiance to our country. I, 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 I swell up with pride with the red, white and blue and the stars and the stripes. You know how patriotic I am. We have 90 something six by nine flags that fly across our front yard three times a year. I, I praise and love our veterans and I, I, I admonish them and lift them up every chance that I get. But I'm going to tell you something. My first allegiance is not to the United States of America. My first allegiance is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom that has no end. That's the world that I am of. I'm in this world. And I'm going to respect it. And I'm going to honor it. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do while I'm in this world. But I am not of this world. We are of another kingdom. It is high time that we rise above the rhetoric. The Bible tells us that death 
and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 There is power in our words. This is a difficult concept for many people to embrace. When I say this, what I'm about to say, but it's true. Our words create worlds. Our words create worlds. This isn't some new age uh, philosophy or, or ideal. We speak things into existence. As a matter of fact, that very scripture, Proverbs 18, 21, it goes on to say that in other words, life or in the power of the tongue and they that, they that, that, that love it will eat its fruit. In other words, the thing that you love to talk about, that's what you're going to end up eating. <laughs> if, 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 I, that's the simplest way I know how to say it, but our words create worlds. So he says, rejoice always, always rejoice. He says, speak positively, speak the good things. And and, and there's power in the spoken word. I, I don't know if any of you are like me. And this doesn't apply to anybody in this room because you are life-giving people. Everybody in this room, I know who you are, I'm looking at you. You are life-giving people. But anybody ever go to Super One or Walmart? You already know where I'm going, don't you? And you're buggy, you're going down, and you're looking at all the aisles, and you really need something on aisle three, but you take one glance and you think, I can come back to aisle three. Because you know that that individual that's halfway down aisle three, when y'all make eye contact, you're engaged and you're there. And for the next 15 to 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to have to hear all the negativity of the world. You're going to have to hear about everything that's bad and everything that's wrong, how that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, how that everything is wrong and bad in their life. And I realize that we got to deal with issues of life. There are some get it. I get that we have real life stuff and issues we got to face. But folks, there are some people, again, none of the folks in this room, I'm just telling you to watch out for them when you leave out of here. But there are some people, that's all you're going to get. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, by the time you get away from that 15 or 20 minute conversation, you're thinking that way. And before you know it, the next conversation we're in, we're talking that way. And now it has spread like poison. I've struggled sometimes with this whole mindset of speaking it, professing it, declaring it. And the reason I guess I've struggled with it at times is because is because I feel like sometimes when we when we teach that, we're saying just deny reality altogether. Just act like there's nothing wrong in your life. If you pretend like it's not there, it's really not there. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, if, if, if you've been given a diagnosis that, from the doctor that's not good, guess what? That's a real problem. It's a real issue that you're facing in your life. They're just ignoring it and talking a bunch of stuff just to try to snuff the snuff it out somehow. That's not that's not doing anything. It's not helping the situation just to act like it's not there. And I'm going to say this and say this and say this till finally it goes away. We have to deal. With reality, we're not, but we're not talking about denying the realities of life, but it's making that conscious decision and saying, yes, uh, this, this is my current reality and I don't like it very much. I'm going through some issues and some situations in life right now that I don't particularly like at all. I'm not loving everything that's going on 
in my life right now. But I'm making a conscious decision to rise above whatever that is. Though I may be in a bad place right now, I'm not going to allow that bad place to be in me. And so here's my response to that. I'm going to rejoice. That's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to rejoice. I'm not denying that there's a problem. I'm not saying if my if my marriage is falling apart that, oh, I'm just going to declare my marriage is perfect. My marriage is perfect. Everything is great. Everything is rosy. Everything is good. Because guess what? It's not. It's falling apart. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let the bad situation, get, I'm in a bad situation, but I'm not going to let the bad situation be in me. So my response to the bad situation is, I'm going to rejoice. God, you are worthy of all the praise. God, I'm going to glorify you through the storm. I'm going to praise you through the problems of my life, I am going to rejoice always. Rejoice always. Instruction. A few verses down, Paul will begin to give us some more specific instructions on just how to do that. But for now, he's just simply saying, rejoice always. That's your response to everything. Rejoice. Sometimes you're going to cry. But guess what? While the tears are flowing, rejoice. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're walking through quicksand and you, you can't, you're taking four steps forward and six steps backward. But while you're just trudging through that quicksand, you're going to say, God, I rejoice. I lift you up. I magnify you in my life. You are still Lord of all. You are still my provider. You're still all that I need, as we talked about earlier. God, you are everything. I'm going to rejoice. That's going to be the response. And it seems... That he wanted to really drive the point home. It wasn't enough just to say rejoice always. He said this. Rejoice always. Oh, again I say. (laughs) Rejoice. In other words, if you're not getting it the first time, let me just say it one more time. Rejoice always. Always. I'm already feeling convicted. I don't feel condemned because I know my God loves me. But I'm already convicted because I'm already thinking about some conversations I've had just this past week. I'm already thinking about some of the thoughts that have crossed my mind. I'm already thinking about some of the stuff that is real straight on Wednesday night that I already typed into a message on Facebook to, to put it out there to the world and set the world straight. And then I went back and the Holy Spirit said, ah, it's not worth all that. I'm already, I'm already remembering all that. And, and what I'm realizing is that I have not taken one bit of advice, not even the first little bit of advice that Paul gave when he says, rejoice always. And again, I say, rejoice. In verse 6, he goes on and he says, Be anxious for nothing. Now, I wish we had about three months of Sundays just to camp right here on these four words. Be anxious for nothing. Can we have confession time this morning? I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand in confession time. How many worriers are in the room? Raise your hand. Come on. Be honest. Come on. You're out there. God bless you for your honesty. The rest of you, we're going to pray for you that God will deliver you of the spirit of lying. Worry, fear, anxiety. Have you noticed there's a lot of it in our world today? But not just in our world. We talk about the, we talk about the anxiety and the tensions in, in Washington, D.C. and in our government and all that. But what about just some of the anxiety in our homes? The tensions. What about... What about the anxiety just in our own spirit and mind and heart for not being able to rest at night? I lay down and I sleep for seven hours, but I don't rest. 
My eyes close and my body goes to sleep, but the mind continues to roll because of anxiety, worry. Can I tell you that worry will kill you? It will literally kill us. If it doesn't kill you physically right away, it will begin to tear away and deteriorate every bit of your hope, every bit of your life, every bit of your joy, every bit of your peace. Worry, anxiety, fear is a thief. But can I also tell you that fear is a liar? We sing a song about it. Fear is a liar. Whatever fear is speaking into your heart and mind, whatever anxiety and worry is trying to cause you to believe, I want to tell you something. You can look at it face to face. You can call it what it is and you say, you are a liar. You will not take one more bit of my peace away. You will not take one more bit of my joy away because the Apostle Paul told me in God's word for me to be anxious for nothing. There should not be anything in life that I should be worried about. Jesus spoke very clearly about this subject of worry in Matthew 6. He said, why do you worry about stuff? Don't worry. Why do you worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat? If I will have one birds of the air and I clothe the field with grass, worrying about these things isn't going to add one, one cubic to your, to your, to your stature. You're, you're not going to grow one bit. You're, you're only going to die in the middle, in a field, in a place of worry. And so he says, don't Don't worry. He says, if I'll take care of these things, don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Don't worry. Don't worry. He says, tomorrow's going to take care of its own stuff. Anybody here worried about tomorrow? Where's my next paycheck going to come from? What if I lose my job? What if my marriage falls apart? What if my children get strung out on drugs? What if this? What if that? What if the other? And we live with these what ifs and the worry and the fear and the anxiety and it kills And it destroys us from the inside out. Can I just tell you, on my mom's side of the family, she probably gets tired of me saying this. And I hope it don't get back to my grandparents because I love them more than anything on the planet. I'm going to tell you something. Worrying is in my DNA on my mama's side of the family. I will never forget, I mean, as a little kid, my grandparents, they still live in the same house that they lived in for 60 years, literally. A little 1,000 square foot home in South Jackson. It's a pier and beam house. And and I'm telling you, every time there was a, a, a tornado watch, it wouldn't even have to be a warning. It was just a tornado watch. And, you know, you get a lot of those in central Mississippi. You know that already. They'd have houses out. They'd have us all in the, in the hallway and putting the mattresses on. And you know what? That same house is still standing. I don't think one single shingle has ever fallen off of that house. But because through all of that, worry. Worry. Now today I live and have to fight this demon of worry. And every time there's a little thundercloud, I call church off because, because, because of worry. Worry steals. It destroys. And so the text says, be anxious for nothing. Listen to this other absolute word, but in everything. Everything. What does everything include? Everything. What does it exclude? Nothing. In everything, everything in my life, every care that I have, every worry in my heart, every fear that I am battling, in everything by prayer, 
and supplication, and don't miss this next part, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Now, here is where Paul allows us finally to deal with the realities of life. He, he didn't leave that out. He wasn't saying, just have this pie-in-the-sky mindset, your mind over matter, and just name it and claim it. He, no, there's a time and place where you bring your stuff to God. You deal with it. You look at it. You address it. Here's where Paul is allowing us to deal with this. Here's where he's letting us know that we don't have to bury our heads in the sand and we don't have to live in denial regarding the issues that we face in our life. Here's where we find that balance in God's word. Here's where we find, we'll find out that we don't have to live in that place of just name it and claim it. We rejoice always. We worry about nothing. But then he allows us to bring all of our cares and our heavy weights to him. He says, bring it to him. Whatever it is you're battling, whatever it is you're worried about, whatever it is you're dealing with, you can bring it to God. You can be open about it. You can talk about it to God. Just don't get out there and start belly aching about it at Walmart and Super One. But take it to God. But listen how he says to do it. He says, bring everything to God by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is where I get real. God, I, I, I'm battling some stuff. I, 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 I'm dealing with some heart issues. I'm dealing with some financial battles that are, that, that are overwhelming right now. God, I, I'm dealing with some relational issues that, that I, don't, I can't overcome. Because he, So God, I'm bringing you all of my cares. The word tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I've discovered a new way to pray. I'm not saying I have the answer or the answer or the solution, but I do pray a different way than I used to pray. If, if, if someone's getting ready to be wheeled into surgery or, or someone's battling or dealing with a, a physical problem in their body and we lay hands on them, by the way, we still believe in that. We still believe in the power of prayer. We still believe in laying on of hands and calling on the name of the Lord together. But let me tell you how I pray. I don't pray, God, would you please? God, will you ever, if you, if, if you will, will you please do this or do that? We just begin to declare God's word. God, we thank you. There's that thanksgiving. God, we thank you that you have gone before us. God, we thank you that you are ordering our steps. I thank you, God, that you have made a way where there seems to be no way. I thank you, God, that you are our great physician and you are our healer. You're the one that we look to. God, we just trust and believe and know that you are going before us today. God, that you're making a way. I just believe and trust today that you are going to be the eyes and the hands in that operating room. The Lord, it's going to be you taking over the surgeon's hands and giving him wisdom and insight today. I'm just trusting you today and believing that we're going to have a, a total and a great outcome here and there's going to be healing in this situation. God, I thank you today for what you have already accomplished and what you are going to do in this situation. We've got to pray a different way. We bring our needs to him. We bring our requests to him, but we do it with thanksgiving. In other words, we do it with trust. Why would you thank God for something that he hadn't done or is not going to do? When we do this, look what happens next in verse 7. Because this is what it's all about. It's not really about the outcome. It's not really about the results as we've talked about so many times. Listen to what happens in verse 7. It says this. And the peace of God. The peace of God. Anybody in this room today could use a little more peace? 
Your home could use a little more peace. Your marriage could use a little more peace. Your community, your workplace could use a little more peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, don't miss this part, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that can surpass all human understanding. It says that it will guard many times the hearts and our minds. Can I just tell you that I've misinterpreted this verse many times before because for for the longest time, I thought that maybe this meant that when I follow these steps that that the Apostle Paul has given us here, that when I follow these steps and I rejoice always and I'm anxious for nothing and I bring all of my requests to God with thanksgiving, I thought that that just simply meant that now everything would be peaceful in my life. Because I'll have the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding. So everything is just going to be peaceful. Now I'm going to be skipping through tulips, zippity-doo-dah, every day of my life. I'm going to float on the ninth cloud every day because, because I've done all these things the right way. But that's not what he's saying. He said the peace of God, and it's that peace that you can't explain. You can't define this kind of peace. You can't manufacture this kind of peace. You can't go and and look and and discover or dig out this kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that, that humanity can't even explain. And this peace, it's going to guard your heart and your mind. Everything may not be peaceful in my surroundings or in my circumstances, but I can have peace. I hope that doesn't sound like an oxymoron. I hope that doesn't sound like a paradox today because, because I can, everything doesn't have to be peaceful in my life for me to have peace in my life. When I, because his peace will guard my heart and mind. When I hear that, it will guard our heart and mind. You know what that tells me? That tells me that all of a sudden he's taken his peace and he has made it like an armed guard and a fortress around my heart and my mind. That tells me that there is something in my life or coming into my life that is going to try to penetrate that fortress and somehow there are things in my life that's going to try to take that peace away, but the peace is going to guard it. Doesn't mean it's going to take all the problems away. It's saying it's going to guard my heart and mind from the, from the, the stuff that tries to take the peace away. Because his peace will guard my heart and mind. In verse eight, in verse eight, we're told how we should tell our minds to think. I, I love this. I love this. Do you know that we can do that? Do you know we can tell our mind what to think? Now, meditation, meditation is a word, is a word and it's a practice that many of your like new age cultures are using today. And honestly, they've kind of, they kind of hijacked it, but they stole it straight from God's word. It was God's idea first. The psalmist David said this, he said, let the words of my mouth, O Lord, my meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Meditation simply defined is this, to, to think deeply, 
or to focus one's mind for a period of time for spiritual purposes, to think carefully about something. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. It's exactly what he's telling us to do. Make an intentional effort to think deeply and focus your mind on the things that really matter. Focus your mind on the things of God. That's what he's saying. We can do that. Meditation is not a bad thing. Meditation was God's idea. We ought to be doing it. As a matter of fact, I think meditation ought to be about 99% of our prayer life. 1% is that making my request known to God, and God, I'm battling this, and God, I need this, and would you please fix this. And the other 99% ought to be us closing our mouths, opening our ears, opening our hearts, and saying, God, just download into me whatever you want to. I'm open. Speak to me. Do whatever you want to do. Meditation. Erasing everything else and allowing God to speak. So here's how he says to do it. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. Here's one of those absolute words again, whatever. If there's anything in it, whatever things are true, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, listen to all those, anything, whatever meditate on these things. Let this be where your heart goes. Let this be where your mind goes. Let this tell your mind to think on these things. Because we don't have to talk ourselves into thinking on the other stuff. All you got to do is open up Facebook. All you got to do is turn the TV on. All you got to do is go to aisle three at Super One. You don't have to look very far to, to meditate on the other stuff. But we have to make an intentional effort. And that's what Paul was saying. He says, make that intentional effort to tell your mind what to think. You think on the good stuff. And if there's anything good, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, if there's anything just, anything at all, go looking for that stuff and think on that stuff. Meditate on that stuff. Let that stuff consume your mind. All right. Let me see here. Man, that's good preaching right there, Brother Kevin. Wow. Woo! Keep it up. I kid, I kid. I'm sorry. Just had to break things up a minute. We're, 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 we're coming in for a close here. We're coming in for a landing, I promise. Can we skip down to verse 11? Is it okay that we're just doing a little Bible teaching today, just a little verse by verse? Is that all right? Something in regard, do that. He says this in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Content. Contentment. Contentment. I think sometimes this word has gotten uh, misplaced. And sometimes people call complacency contentment. Two different things, two drastically different things. We can be complacent. And that's not a good thing. Complacency says, no more, I'm good, I'm full, got all I need, my bills are paid, my forward, no more, no growth, no, no, no new day, no new life, just that's it, that's complacency. Contentment says this, I want more, I desire more, I want everything God has for me, but for the day and the place and the situations I'm in right now, I'm good. God, I'm good. 
Everything in my spirit, I'm good. I'm at peace today. Your peace is that surpasses understanding. It's guarding and it's my heart and my mind. And I'm good. This word contentment is the same word in the Greek that we get our word containment, where you may think of like a self-contained motor home, for example, where you can pull a motor home up on the parking lot of Walmart. It doesn't have to plug into anything. It's already got any kind of outside source of anything. Everything that it needs is inside. It's self-contained. It's already got its own water source. It's already got its own power supply. It's got, it's got its own heat and air. It's got plumbing. It's got everything that it needs. In other words, you don't have to plug into anything outside to get everything that you need. And what Paul is saying is that with God in my life, I don't need, it. I don't need to get anything from you or from this place. I don't need my affirmation from someone else. I don't need to belong here or there. I, all I, I have everything I need. I am self-contained. I am content. And he says, whatever situation I'm in, No matter where I'm at, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how much uh, hell is going on in my life, I am content. I could be in a prison cell and I'm still content. I'm self-contained. I got everything that I need. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, we read where Paul was pleading with the Lord regarding this thing called, that we call it today, the thorn in the flesh. And he said, I had this thing. It was a, it was a messenger sin of Satan. Uh, uh, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was irritating me and it was bothering me. And he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times. I asked him three times to take it from me. But this was the Lord's response to him in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul would go on to say, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I, I, then he is strong in my life. When I am weak, then I'm strong because it's him at work in my life. I've learned no matter what's going on in my life, if I'm being persecuted, if, I, if I'm in prison, if I'm hungry, no matter what's going on in my life, if all of my friends are turning against me, no matter what's going on in my life, I am content. I have all I need. I'm self-contained. In other words, it doesn't really matter what happens to me. It doesn't really matter what happens around me. What really matters is what is happening in me. I am content. I am self-contained. I believe it was J.C. Penney's years ago that had the little jingle that said, it's all inside. Y'all remember that? Some of you ladies remember that? It's all inside. It's all inside. You contain it. It's in you. You can find contentment. In verse 12, he says this, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's saying, I've been up and I've been down. I've been in prison and I've been free. I've been hungry and I've been full. I've been, I've been all around the spectrum. I've experienced all of these things. And here's what I've learned. There's that famous verse. The next verse is that famous verse that we could probably all quote together. And here's what he says. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I tell you, and I'm closing with this, can I tell you that I, that I, I used to think that scripture meant that, you know, I could just leap tall buildings with a single bound, that I could, I could go up to someone in a wheelchair and pull them out and they're going to walk in the name of Jesus. I used to think that's what that meant, but it's not. Paul was saying, if you read the verses leading up to it, what we just got through reading, he was saying, here's the deal. I can do it. I can do it. If it's good, I can do that. If they're, if they're praising me and, and, they're, and they're exalting me as I go through the streets and they're, 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 they're singing my praises, I can do that. But if they're persecuting me, I can do that too. 
If I'm hungry, I can do that. If I'm full, I can do that. If I'm free, praise God, I can do that. But guess what? If I'm in prison, I can do prison too. I can do all things through Christ because it's him who gives me the strength. It's him who brings contentment in my life. It's him who guards my heart and mind with peace. He is all I need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me just... Let me just challenge all of us with this. Can our takeaway today be this? Let's speak life. Let's just speak life. Let's begin to speak life. Speak life. Let's begin to declare life. Declare life. Speak it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it are going to eat its fruit. Let's let's speak it. What is it? What is it in your life? I know what it is in mine. You don't have to broadcast it. You don't have to put it on a billboard. You don't have to say it out loud. But you know what it is. I know what it is in my life. Why don't we begin to declare life over that situation? There's division in my home and my marriage. I speak life. God, bring your life. My, my, my finances, I feel like they're cursed. It, we're always in the red. I speak life. I speak life. And I seek God and his word for wisdom. I speak life. The doctor's saying this. I get it. It's a reality. Take your request to the Lord with thanksgiving. But speak life. Speak life. Declare life. Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail. And good. They've been wrongly charged. They've been persecuted for doing good. They're persecuted for doing the right thing. They're right in the center of God's will. They're doing exactly what he has commissioned them to do. And in verse 25 now, they find themselves fastened in stocks. And in the inner prison, they've now been beaten. There's stripes on their bodies and they're, they're, they're in the inner prison, the dungeon of the prison with stocks on their feet, fastened to their feet. But I love what it says in verse 25. It says, but at midnight. So they're wrongly charged. They're imprisoned in the, in the dungeon of the prison. Stocks around their feet. Cold, damp, lonely. A bit of hopelessness, I'm sure. Maybe even, a, maybe even just a hint of bitterness. God, we're doing what you called us to do, and here we are. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't say that, but I know where I would be. <laughs> but in verse 25, it says, But at midnight, now the darkest and the loneliest part of the night, it says they began singing hymns to God. They began praying and singing hymns to God. He took his own advice, folks. He said, you know what? I'm going to rejoice always. And again, I say to you, Kevin, rejoice. rejoice always. Can I tell you that while they began to do that, 
while they begin to declare the goodness of God and sing the praises of God in the middle of the most hellish situation of their life. In the middle of that dark dungeon, they begin to sing praises to God. They begin to declare life. They begin to call on the name of Jehovah God. They begin to speak the name of Jesus. They begin to sing hymns about their Lord. Can I tell you that the prisoners were listening? See, this is what it's all about. This is where we go from being in the church to being the church. This is where, this is where we begin to make a difference. This is where, this is where the rubber meets the road and where it's really supposed to happen. We're not just supposed to be absorbers. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be giving. We're supposed to be distributing the goodness of God. The prisoners were listening. And listen to this. The earth began to shake. An earthquake began to happen and the doors of the prison flung open and the chains began to fall off. Go back and read it in Acts 16. The, the chains fell off and we think that's the miracle. We love to preach that sermon and we love to talk about the moment they praised God and the chains fell off and the doors fell open. You are free in victory. But guess what? That's not even really the miracle. That was a miracle and God did something supernatural right there. But that's not what it was about. If we end the story right there, we miss the whole thing. Because see, guess what? Paul and Silas, they didn't go anywhere. They stayed right there in their bad situation. There wasn't chains around their feet anymore. To me, that they opened, they could walk out, they could do it, but they didn't leave. You know what that tells me? That tells me that they were in prison, but prison wasn't in them. So you know what? I'm content. I can be in prison or I can be out there free. It doesn't matter. Because the peace of God is guarding my heart and mind. Because it wasn't even about being freed from the physical prison. But it was all about the fact that they... It wasn't about the fact that they could just get up and walk out. They realized that probably about the time they started singing and declaring the goodness of God, that even though they were in prison, the prison was not in them. And that they were there on assignment. That's when they realized we're here on assignment. And that they were there to make a difference in the world and the lives around them. The prisoners were watching, they were observing, they were seeing this, they were experiencing this. Even the keeper of the prison, the Philippian jailer, the story goes, he comes in, he falls on his face, he says, men and brethren, what must I do to be saved? That very night, his whole household comes to the Lord, they're all baptized that very night. Even if we find ourselves in unfair situations, we must begin to speak life. God wants to do things, he wants to do supernatural things, he wants every one of us to be able to make a difference wherever we are. It's not just about us, it's not about us just being freed from our prison. We don't have, we can be in a prison cell right now. Even if our world be in us because it's all about the difference that we make. Even if our world is falling apart, we got to speak life. Even if it's at the midnight hours it was with Paul and Silas, we must speak life. Let's declare the goodness of our God. Let's declare the faithfulness of our provider. Let's declare the unwavering stability of our strong tower. Let's speak life. Would you stand with me today as we close? And Paul said this. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Worry about nothing. Don't nobody stop me out there in that parking lot today and tell me. That's hard to do. Don't do that. You're already speaking it. You're already speaking the negativity. Declare life. I can do this because I can do all things. Worry about nothing. Bring everything to God with thanksgiving. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've already made a way. 
I thank you that you've already gone before me. I thank you that you are my provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. I thank you that you're Jehovah Rapha. You're my healer. I thank you, God, for who you are in my life, that you're my everything. I'm going to meditate on the good stuff. God, today as I leave, i got enough stuff to worry about, but I'm not going there. I'm just going to focus on the good stuff. Don't come see with breath in my body. God, you put a wonderful church family around me. God, i got food on my table today, and if you don't, come see me. We'll put food on your table. I'm, you got food on your table today. i got clothes on. I, I've got people. In, I've got a support. I've got, I've got life. I'm going to meditate on this stuff. If there's anything good, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, that's the stuff I'm looking at. That's the stuff I'm talking about. That's the stuff I'm going to speak. Let's speak life. Rejoice always. Be be worried for nothing. Give everything to God and meditate on the good stuff and speak life. In Jesus' name. Could we sing together before we go today? Can we just sing a song together and just meditate on the goodness of God before we leave today? In Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's worship before we go home. In the middle of the storm. Gonna hear my praises roar And from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The King is alive I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roar The king arise, death is defeated, the king is alive. Come on, church, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, I'm gonna hear my praises roar. And from the ashes, hope will arise, death is defeated. Come on, one more time, come on. And I'm gonna sing in the middle of my storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. And from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated.